0: Hey there, friend. Welcome to another episode of the Bible in Life podcast. My name is John Whitaker, and I am so glad that you're joining me here on the Bible in Life. Uh, My heart, my goal for this podcast and for really all my Bible teaching is to try to bring the Bible to life and to do that by taking the text of Scripture, communicating it in the best way I know how, in down-to-earth, everyday language, to provide what I like to call blue jeans theology. That is... Bible teaching that's rooted in the context of everyday life, that's in the language of everyday life, so that you and I can follow Jesus more fully and more completely right in the midst of our everyday life. So that's what we're all about here on The Bible and Life, and I'm glad you're joining me on this episode. We are going to explore and consider the greatness of how broad and how wide and how all-inclusive what Jesus did on the cross actually is. And so we'll get to that here in just a second, but let me just mention one thing right up front and that's this that the Bible in Life is a crowd-funded Bible teaching project. It is made possible by the faithful and generous support of friends and partners of the Bible in Life. And that includes the listeners commentary and Really, all my online Bible teaching. And so, if you have been impacted in some way, if you are thinking or have been thinking about uh, supporting the ministry in some way, let me just say this that uh, this month, the month of April, we are celebrating the two year birthday of the Listener's Commentary, which is my other podcast where I teach straight through Bible books. And in honor of its second birthday, I want to give free access to the study hub that goes along with it, where uh, you've got charts, you've got articles, you've got word studies, you've got pictures and background data, got some uh, access to some of my online courses, totally free, discounted access to all of my online courses, just a ton of stuff to really help you dig in and study the text. And so if you set up a recurring monthly donation in the month of April, uh, then I will give you free access to the Listener's Commentary Study Hub just as a way to honor it, celebrate that, and to say thank you for your support. Um, in reality, the Listener's Commentary, The Bible and Life, we're running about 75% of bare minimum monthly needs. So we're not even quite making everything we need. And somehow the Lord keeps providing for us. We're grateful for that. But man, it'd be a huge help if more people would... Uh, step up and just say, hey, I want to support this because it's been such a huge impact in my life. So if that's you, uh, let me just say a huge thank you in advance. All right, let's uh, jump in and talk about the cross in view of the fact that it is uh, Easter week, it's Holy Week, in view of the fact that uh, tomorrow, or at least tomorrow when I'm releasing this, is Good Friday. Good Friday and we, we pause to remember the cross and focus on the cross and reflect on that, just thought it'd be helpful for us to pause here on the podcast and think about the cross as well, and particularly think about how, like, the breadth of what God accomplished through the cross. And sometimes we don't think about everything that the cross did. But before we look at what the cross accomplished, we need to set it a little bit in its historical context. Like, for us, we see uh, polished crosses hanging in church buildings. We wear uh, little gold crosses on necklaces. Well, people wear cross earrings, right? Like the cross is uh, at graveyards to commemorate the death of somebody. We, crosses are everywhere, and they're often. Um, viewed with fond affection or they stir positive memories for us, but it wasn't always that way. In the Roman world of Jesus' day, the cross was actually a vulgarity. It was a horrific, shameful way to die, uh, a method of execution that the Romans had devised to really elicit as much pain and as much suffering as possible. It really, as a deterrent to other peoples rebelling against Rome or creating crimes against the state or something like that. I mean, it was absolutely awful—a slow, horrific way to to suffocate and die with intense, agonizing pain. And as a result of that, the uh, crucifixions were really reserved for criminals of the lowest kind. Crucifixion was used primarily out on the fringe of empire as a way to control the masses who were the farthest away from uh, Rome itself. Uh, crucifixion was often done, sometimes in just like mass amounts. Hundreds of people crucified all at once because they had rebelled against Rome, and now we need to put them to death, and we need to scare the rest of the populace into submission. It was absolutely horrific. Um, The Roman historian Tacitus, writing after the time period of Jesus, but still uh, in reference to the way it was viewed among the Romans, was Uh, He referred to crucifixion as the extreme penalty. He wouldn't even say the word cross or crucifixion in polite company. Um, It was a a terrible way to die that uh, was viewed as a vulgarity among Roman citizens. So, here we come then to Jesus' death. And we come to the effect that's had on the world so that now, 2,000 years later, We wear uh, cross necklaces and cross earrings and we decorate uh, church buildings with crosses. We think about the cross and it stirs all sorts of emotions within us, uh, gratitude and love and joy and all sorts of things uh, that were not associated with it previously because of what God did in Christ through the cross. So let's just take a few minutes, and look at just a handful of things the New Testament says the cross achieved. So we can see how broad this is. Some of this will be familiar. Some of this may be new thoughts to you. I just want to look at a handful of texts and say, here's something the cross accomplished. Here's another thing the cross accomplished. And so I got my Bible open on my desk, and we're just going to flip through some pages. So you'll probably hear pages turning on this episode. I just want to look at a handful of passages together about how all-encompassing the achievement of the cross actually is. So let's start with 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 18 and 19 says this. He's, He's calling followers of Jesus to think seriously about how they live their life, to do so with uh, awe and reverence towards God, and he bases that on the achievement of the cross. He says this in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, he says, knowing this, that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your feudal way of life inherited by your forefathers, uh, but with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless the blood of christ and so one of the things the cross achieves is redemption it it redeemed us and listen to the language notice he says you were redeemed and not with perishable things like silver or gold because redemption's always the payment of a price to achieve some sort of liberation some sort of freedom that's the way it worked it was used commonly on the streets of the cities of the Roman Empire in the slave market for redeeming uh, someone out of slavery, paying money to buy their freedom and set them free from slavery. So it's always that idea. And so that's the reason he brings up this money language, silver or gold. That's money, right? You weren't redeemed with money, but you were redeemed. Your redemption, your purchase, your liberation was paid for, not with money, but with the precious blood. Blood like a lamb, unblemished and spotless, Harkening back to the Old Testament sacrifices where uh, it, it required a lamb that was unblemished and spotless. Well, Jesus was like the ultimate lamb that was sacrificed to pay for our redemption and purchase our freedom from sin, from the penalty of sin, from the power of sin. We have been redeemed and the cross achieved that. Somehow, in some way, Jesus' death on the cross was a payment of a price to set us free so that we could be redeemed. That's one thing the cross accomplished. Uh, Another thing, a super well-known passage um, in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 3, um, really a dense little paragraph about uh, the, the achievement of the cross. If you want a full explanation of it, I suggest you check out the listener's commentary on Romans chapter 3. But let me just read a little bit of this. This comes at the tail end of Paul's argument where he's explained that all people, doesn't matter whether you're Uh, an out-and-out pagan, whether you're a good moral Gentile, whether you're a Jew who knew the scriptures, all people, Paul has said in Romans 1 through 3, have sinned. And they're guilty before God. They stand before God, and they have nothing to say in their defense. They are guilty as charged, convicted. How is God going to deal with that? Well, look at what he says. Uh, Romans chapter 3, um, he says, but now, even though that's the case, but now apart from the Old Testament law, the righteousness of God, that, that's God's saving justice, has been manifested, being witnessed by the Old Testament. So the Old Testament law and prophets pointed towards God's saving justice. Then he goes on and says this in verse 24 here's what God did, being justified, all people of sin, being justified as a gift by God's grace. Through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood, through faith. Now, a lot of big words and a lot of theology packed into that. We've already talked about redemption in 1 Peter chapter 1, so we don't really need to go there again, except to note this, that in the Jewish mindset, um, the great redemption was their their being set free from slavery in Egypt during the Exodus in the Old Testament. And so when we talk about redemption, we're talking about a payment of a price, but we're also talking about like the ultimate redemption, the great redemption that Jews look forward to, the final redemption was achieved by Jesus through his death. Paul also says here in Romans chapter 3 that Jesus' death was a propitiation. That's a big word, and it's a word we don't use every day. Um, And there's actually been quite a bit of debate among scholars as to exactly what the word propitiation means in this context. Bare minimum, here's what Paul is doing when he mentions propitiation is he's hearkening back to the Day of Atonement ceremony uh, described in Leviticus 16. Why do I say that? Well, because the word translated propitiation here in the Greek translation of the Old Testament that was popular in Jesus's day, in Paul's day, um, in Leviticus 16, the The mercy seat, the the lid on the Ark of the Covenant where the blood was sprinkled on the Day of Atonement, on that day, well, in Leviticus 16, that mercy seat, the lid for the Ark of the Covenant is translated into Greek from Hebrew with this very same word, propitiation. And so what Paul is essentially saying is, Jesus is the ultimate day of atonement moment. Like the cross is the ultimate day of atonement where atonement was achieved. Sins were dealt with once and for all. In fact, the author of Hebrews says it's done and gone forever. That's the whole point of Hebrews 9 and 10 is that the day of atonement has been achieved in Jesus with the blood of bulls and goats could not do year after year after year after year. Jesus did. And so his death provided atonement, dealt with sin once and for all. And so now sin is is atoned for. It's paid for. It is dealt with finally and fully. And so has as the book of Hebrews says, reflecting on this idea of Jesus' death being a propitiation, it says that now we no longer have to live in the guilt and shame of sin. We no longer have to like constantly have sin hanging over our head, knowing we're going to have to have a, another reminder next year on the Day of Atonement. It's done with forever. And so Jesus' death provided atonement for sin completely and fully, so that we could be justified, he says here in Romans 324. And justified is the idea of being cleared of all charges. It's a legal term that means you're pardoned, you're acquitted, you're you're declared not guilty, you're free to go, you're cleared of all charges. So there we were, standing before the just judge of the universe, guilty as charged, with nothing to say in our defense, and yet we are cleared of all charges. Because Jesus died, because he died as our substitute in our place and atoned for sin once and for all, and thus we are free to go. We are no longer treated as guilty criminals. We are pardoned of all charges, acquitted of all charges because of what Jesus did. Man, that is good news. So Jesus' death provided redemption. It provided atonement and justification. Um Hebrews chapter 2, here's, here's something Jesus' death achieved that maybe is a little less familiar. Uh, Hebrews chapter 2, let me just pick up in verse 14. It says this, Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, the reason he uses the word children is he just quoted an Old Testament passage where it used children to refer to God's children, the family of the Messiah. And so he said, since the children share in flesh and blood, in other words, they're human beings, he himself, Jesus himself took on the same. He became a human being, but they were humans and it was a human problem that led to all of this. And so he became human as well. And so that through death, here we go, through death, he might render powerless him who had the power of death that is the devil. So one of the things that Jesus' death achieved was it—it it destroyed the devil. It rendered him powerless. It took the, the the power away from the devil, particularly the power of death, so that uh, we didn't have to live in fear of death any longer. The author of Hebrews goes on to say, and so another thing that the. The death of Jesus achieved is it destroyed the devil, rendered him powerless so he no longer has power over death and thus power over us through the fear of death. And while we're on that, we should probably read Colossians chapter 2, picking up in verse 15, describing again the cross. He just mentioned the cross at the end of verse 14, saying that. the, the certificate of debt was nailed to the cross. So we're in this context of what Jesus' death achieved. Okay. And then he says this in that context, nailed it to the cross. When verse 15, when he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them having triumphed over them, over the rulers and authorities, through him, that is through Jesus and His death. So another thing Jesus' death achieved is that it it um, disarmed the rulers, and authorities. It was a triumph, a victory over the spiritual powers that rule this world, rule, this, rule the systems of this world, rule the nations of this world for harm and for destruction and for evil. Jesus triumphed over them and he's now exalted far above them, plenty of texts say, so that he is. King of kings and Lord of lords, he is the ultimate ruler of the universe, having disarmed the spiritual powers that were at work in this world to destroy human flourishing and to destroy God's good world. They're no longer in charge. They have been defeated by Jesus' victory, and so Jesus' death achieved victory over spiritual powers. That's something else that it achieved. Uh, Another thing that Jesus' death achieved, back in Romans, Romans chapter 5, Jesus' death was a demonstration of God's love that brought, uh, that reconciled us to him. Listen to these words, uh, Romans chapter 5, verses 8 through 10. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in this, and that while we were yet sinners... Christ died for us. Like how much does God love you? How much does he love us? He loves us literally to death. That's the point. Like the only person who has literally loved me to death is what is God in Christ. What he did for me in Jesus. He loved us to death. Even when we were sinners, even when we were his enemies. He goes on and says in verse uh 10, for if while we were his enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, how much more than now having been reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? And so Jesus' death uh, demonstrated how much God loved us. Uh, Jesus' death reconciled us to God, which means that the enmity, the hostility, the tension, the brokenness in our relationship with God is Uh, alleviated by the virtue of Jesus' death. And now we can be friends with God again. We can live in partnership with him, live in loving relationship with him because of what Jesus has done on the cross. We've been reconciled to him and that has saved us from our own demise and destruction. And that's why just a few chapters later in Romans chapter 8, Paul says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He goes on to say that God condemned sin in the body of Jesus so that he didn't have to condemn us. And so another thing that the cross achieved is it freed us from condemnation. We're no longer under condemnation. We now have life and not condemnation. And so shame, guilt, condemnation, death, all of that is no longer in charge of our life. We've been freed from that by virtue of Jesus' death. Man, that is... That's some good news. There's a lot of things here that Jesus' death did for us uh, that makes our life so rich and worth living. But there's even more. One of the things we don't often think about is that not only did Jesus' death uh, provide redemption, uh, justify us, right? Make atonement for our sin, free us from condemnation, reconcile us to God and all the things we've talked about. Jesus' death also provided the pattern for how we're supposed to live our life. And this just shows up all over the New Testament. First uh, Peter chapter 2, verse 21. Uh, Peter actually uh, kind of interacts with Isaiah 53. If you're familiar with Isaiah 53, it is the clearest description of the death of Jesus in the Old Testament. Isaiah 53. Well, Peter, at the end of chapter 2, interacts with it, kind of provides his own little reflection on Isaiah 53, but he does so so that we would see that Jesus' death not only provides our redemption, it also provides a pattern for how we should deal with hardship, difficulty, and suffering. So uh, 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 21 says, For you have been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. And then he goes on to interact with Isaiah 53 and basically say, so here's the pattern. Jesus suffered like this. He didn't defend himself. He didn't threaten. He didn't promise revenge. He entrusted him himself to God. That's how we deal with suffering, opposition, and hardship too. So the death of Jesus provides an example for how we should live our lives. Uh, and does so in all sorts of ways. I think of Ephesians chapter 5 in the instructions to husbands and wives. Paul in Ephesians 5 says this to husbands. He says, "Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her." And so the the cross is the pattern for the self-sacrificial love that a husband's supposed to have for his wife. It's the pattern, the example of how we're to lay down our life for our wife. Or Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, and then onward in 5 through 8, Paul calls Christians to consider one another more important than themselves and to not look out for their own interests, but also the interests of others. Now, how do I know that's that's imitating the cross? Well, because in the very next verse, verse 5, Paul goes on to describe uh, the example of Jesus. He says, Have this mindset in yourself that was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, didn't consider equality with God something to be held on to and used for his own advantage. He emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being made in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself uh, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even. Death on a cross. So the cross is supposed to really set the pattern for how we interact with our fellow Christians. Like we don't defend our rights. We don't look out for our own interests. We don't try to advantage ourselves. We consider others more important than ourselves because the cross provided that pattern for us. Man, you read the entire book of 2 Corinthians. And Paul's whole approach to life and to ministry, his whole view of everything he dealt with in life, the whole way he viewed his finances and everything else, was shaped by the cross. So the cross provides also a pattern for our life, for our suffering, for our marriage, for our relationships, for our ministry, for our finances, for our service. The cross is the entire pattern for what it looks like to follow Jesus. And that's why Jesus said... To us, if anyone wants to be my disciple, uh, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. The cross is the pattern for our life. And so it's no wonder that uh, as Paul winds down the book of Galatians, where he gives really uh, all sorts of uh, instructions about the cross and demonstrates the power of the cross, it's no wonder Paul winds down Galatians and says this in Galatians 6.14. He says, But may it never be that I would boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. Um, The only thing Paul wants to boast in, and that word boast there means to proudly rejoice in, to proudly celebrate. Um, The only thing Paul's going to do that, and he says, is the cross. Man, that is such an ironic twist of fate in a lot of ways. Like the cross was an object of shame, an object of horror, an object of disgrace. It was such a vulgarity that Tacitus wouldn't even use the word and it was rarely mentioned in polite company because it was so awful. And yet now because of what Jesus has accomplished, the cross is something to boast in. It's to celebrate in. It's to rejoice in. And so as we we approach Good Friday and we approach... Easter Sunday, we look back and we remember in really a special way the events of this week, and we remember the events of that uh, first Holy Week, that Passover week that culminated in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. May we, like Paul, look at the cross and realize, as awful as it was, God brought incredible good out of it, so that we now can say, I will boast in nothing. Nothing about myself, nothing about my achievements, nothing about my life, nothing about my whatever, right? I will boast only in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which this world has been crucified to me, and I've been crucified to the world. I don't belong to it anymore. I'm not shaped by it. I don't get my identity from it. I live for Jesus and Jesus alone because of what he did on the cross, Hey, thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Bible and Life podcast. Uh, Thank you for being a part of the Bible and Life family. I pray you have a blessed Easter weekend. May God fill you with his joy and with his spirit. May you live in the power and in the joy of the resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. I look forward to talking to you again next week.